0: Welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks, and Father. Since in part this show is a little bit about what's going on in my life, I think it's time to to give an update here. Since the last time we recorded, girlfriend Teresa has been promoted to fiance Teresa.
1: Oh, congratulations! Thank That's you.
0: wonderful. Thank you. And then there's a um a bunch of questions that are are spilling out about that. And I uh, figure that's where we'll dive into with the uh, with this first cast and see what direction it goes from there. Fantastic. So the first thing that actually hit me, I mean, we've been planning this thing for a week or so now, and it's a sacrament. And I never really thought of it like that. And I guess my first question is, is obviously I know that there's seven of them, but what makes this a sacrament that puts it on equal footing with the Eucharist, Baptism, Confession, and Confirmation, the ones I've already had?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, A lot of times they'll divide the sacraments into three categories, which is helpful. We think of the sacraments of initiation, which begins with baptism, and then really continues with confirmation, and, and the conclusion or the consummation of the sacraments of initiation is actually the Eucharist. Okay. And then we keep receiving that kind of renewal of our initiation into Christ, and our uh, the consummation of our of our uh, well of our union with Him, our ongoing growth with Him. But those three sacraments are known as sacraments of initiation. And then we have two sacraments of healing, physical healing, we could say, and the sacrament of anointing of the sick, and then also that spiritual healing that comes with. Uh, Reconciliation with absolution in the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. So, we have those two sacraments of healing, which are again sacraments that we receive more often because we're sort of broken and sick and in need of that spiritual and physical healing more often. And then we have two sacraments that are thought of as vocational sacraments, the configuration of one's life, uh, the whole of one's life to carry out a particular mission. And to be to bring the presence of Christ in the world in a particular way. Sacrament of holy orders, which is what I've received as first to be ordained a deacon and then to be ordained a priest, and God willing, never to be ordained a bishop, but the <laughs> bishops have received that sacrament for a third time. And then also the sacrament of marriage. The sacrament of holy orders makes me another Christ. I live out. Uh, a mission in the world to be another Christ in confecting the sacraments and uh, that really through the service of the sacraments is a primary way but through a a ministry of teaching and shepherding as well as sanctifying and that mission of being Christ in the world and, and being another Christ for people is not something that I sort of have in myself that's why I need a sacrament that sort of overlays myself in order that I can carry out this ministry. And so I am a sign of Christ, and then I also become that in, in the ministry so that I can make the body of Christ truly present, so that I can speak the words of absolution and truly forgive with the power of Christ. I'm doing those things, and Jesus is doing those things, and the one who receives that is receiving it. So a sacrament gives us something that we don't already have. Okay. And then the sacrament of marriage, there are various ways to look at this, but the thing that, the way I really like to look at it, as I said, priesthood really focuses on Christ. In marriage, you're really focusing on the communion of the Trinity. One of the things that we receive and we love about our Christian faith is that God has revealed himself as love. He is a communion, a community of love. And the dynamic of love in the Trinity is the Father gives everything to the Son. The Son receives everything from the Father and returns the entire gift, that mutual giving and receiving is himself a person in the Holy Spirit. And so that communion of love, how do we encounter that communion of love? Well, families, marriage, that's where we have the community of love, the communion of love, which brings in a tangible way, and a visible way, the presence of the Trinity into the world. And so it's really an incredible gift to be married. The, the married couple models, they mirror that giving and receiving. You, in your vows, Joe, at your marriage, God willing, will really promise your entire self, your whole life, exclusively to your future wife in a way that will bring forth children into the world. And you do it freely. So that free, total, faithful, and fruitful gift of yourself, and then she will, in a sense, receive that whole gift of yourself, and she will respond, likewise, giving herself freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully open open to life, back to you, and that mutual self-giving, which you will speak in your vow, which you will make a physical reality on your wedding night, that. That total gift is a mirror of the Trinity because that's what is happening now, not in a physical way in the Trinity as we live it out, but in the same way the Father gives Himself totally to the Son, the Son receives that gift, gives Himself totally to the Father. The fruitfulness of their gift is there in the Holy Spirit, and then we could say there's an even a greater, you know, another fruitfulness that pours forth in creation and from from the, the plants and animals to human beings that that love is just constantly overflowing. So in the sacrament of marriage, you don't have it in yourself to be a sign of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And and I like to say, you know, we don't have it in ourselves even to make those kinds of promises. Who can really commit themselves for their entire life to someone? I mean, it's really, we have a hard time committing ourselves to, you know, a, a year at a job or, a, <laughs> you know, to a friendship or to a, to really make that commitment. I, I don't even think we have that in ourselves, in our fallen nature. But anyway, to be a sign of the Trinity, to be able to live out, the, to bring the presence of God into the world, and then, you know, God willing, through children, that sign becomes more and more full, and we have little little trinities, little communions of love running around, and that's really the basic cell of society. That's from, the, the thing from which everything else develops as well. So really, a beautiful sacrament and a beautiful vocation.
0: Okay, so I, I think that's a good starting framework there, because that left me to to a couple more questions that that have been going along here. So back to the the last thing you said about how can you, how could you possibly be able to to be committed to one person forever? The sacrament and and the grace of all that is what's going to help. That's good, because um, one of the hardest parts of what ultimately will be a four year dating slash um, engagement is, and will speak, continue to be, I'm sure, is going to be honoring her virginity. And basically, everything you just went through as far as that sacrament, not everything, but part of it as far as bringing forth children, goes from sex being completely discouraged to now being encouraged, um, almost with a flip of a switch. And that being something that, that's been so difficult, as I think I mentioned before in prior cast, you know, why is that the case with something that is the end goal with, with this sacrament?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. The, so, sex is actually an essential part of the sacrament. You're not married after your wedding. You're only married after you consummate that wedding with your bodies. So, that's an amazing thing in mm-hmm. itself. And... Every time that you come together bodily, you are renewing your marriage vows. Sex has a meaning. That's why you can't have it outside of marriage, but it is a, a, an essential part of
0: marriage. Okay, well, that that's that's a quick and dry answer. There, we don't normally get those on this. <laughs> um, okay, um, so so. So therefore that's why it's the emphasis not to have a prior to marriage is because of being so essential for marriage. It's not like a practice thing.
1: Uh, No, Uh, because sex has a meaning and the meaning is a renewal of marriage vows. You can't renew your marriage vows if you haven't made your marriage vows. When someone gives themselves to another person, when a man gives himself to a woman, when a woman receives that gift and gives herself to the man physically, she is saying he is saying I give myself to you forever for my for my whole life I give my whole life to you that's what's written into that very act that's what's written into our bodies into our human nature so to do that without actually giving your life to another person and that's the wonderful thing is that the meaning of sex finds its fulfillment in the context of marriage because marriage is by its nature giving oneself to another Those four adjectives are so helpful to remember, freely, faithfully, fruitfully, totally, and that's what is in the marriage vows and in the consent, and that's what is expressed in the sexual act as well, because, of course, if if the sexual union weren't free, we call that rape, not sex, right? If it weren't faithful, we call that adultery, one person Mm -hmm. exclusively. If it weren't fruitful, that's contracepted well, that's another whole issue in itself, but it it really helps us to understand why contraception is a problem because it's really contradicting the marriage vows it's not allowing the the renewal of the marriage vows so and then uh, totally that you give your uh, your whole life your whole self if you if you only sort of had a half of a i don't know coming together or or if you were having sex but not really you know, it we're just a, a hit and run or something like that. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a distortion. Marriage is a, is a total gift of self. So, so we see the renewal of the marriage vows and the sexual act. To have the sexual act before the marriage vows is promising something that someone is not willing to promise. I would say this to, we have, you know, young people here on campus who are struggling with these questions. And I say, well, if you're ready to have sex, then you're ready to get married they say, no, I'm not ready to get married. Okay, well, what are you holding back? Well, I don't know if I can be with her forever. Well, then you can't have sex with her because that's what you're saying when you have sex. <laughs> I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life.
0: Not to mention what the end product could If be. you're
1: ready to say that, you know, if you're ready to say that, then get married. Mm-hmm. And then enter into that act. And so they just, they're, they're so tightly coupled together. And then, again, you know, the, the sexual act means something in the context of marriage that, there's a there's a real giving of oneself to the other and it it is a real renewal of the marriage vows and it's also the reason you know if there's a if there's a real rupture then couples also separate physically until they reconcile and then can come together now sometimes if the rupture isn't so severe then that coming together can be part of the healing if the rupture is severe enough then coming together would make things worse
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is by the way a helpful way to understand holy communion when we receive the body of christ at mass it's a kind of consummation of our union with christ it's a one flesh union with christ if we've committed a mortal sin if we've had such a severe rupture that there needs to be a reconciliation then receiving communion would make things worse Hmm. if there's a smaller rupture such that we can confess in our hearts and have that connection, then communion can also make things better. But there's a, there's an analogy there between marriage and and the sacrament and, and the Eucharist. The one flesh union of marriage has a an analogy to the one flesh union with Christ in Holy Communion.
0: Okay, that, that's actually something I was going to ask you on a later cast, but but that analogy just pretty much set it up. So with that being said, as I look at my own life, taking a sidestep here from the marriage conversation for a second, and I go to confession it seems to be, at least in the last couple of years, pretty much only the same couple things just keep coming up, and I have eliminated all the major stuff. Like, I'm not going out and killing anyone. Um, You know, I'm not going out and, and, you know, doing any of the the, the bad stuff that that would be considered under the mortal category. But it does seem to be you know, the same little isolated little grouping, that that tends to be the stuff. And I'm sure as a priest you kind of get a feel as far as your congregation based upon how big and severe that confessions you get are so my, my question for that is is that not to say that one's better but what what's ultimately worse if you just go out and do the one super bad thing or if you do kind of a bunch of little things and then if it's something that that's almost habitual and takes time to repair how do you view that in that whole context of, of using the communion to, to go into communion starting there um, well why don't we make the marriage analogy I mean,
1: <clears throat> if uh, you know if you commit adultery it's going to be a lot of damage there mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of time to reconcile and to rebuild trust and that's a really severe thing and coming together in marriage is, uh, you know, if you, your wife is going to feel more used if you've been with another woman and then you get together with her. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's something really severe there. The, the daily infractions that you will commit in your marriage, Joe, of <laughs> <laughs> sure. not taking out the garbage again, of not remembering to pick something up from the store, of uh, spending too much, of getting out, going out with the guys, of, you know, all these little infractions mm-hmm. that that cause uh, a real tension, and depending on her sensitivity and how you work through those things, sometimes those things can build up to the point that there's a real rift where she says, I don't feel like we see each other anymore. I don't feel like I know you anymore. I don't feel like we're, we're really connecting. I don't feel like you ever listened to me. Now you didn't commit adultery, but a whole series of little things which you can identify as something in your heart. You made a shift at some point Mm -hmm. to go in that direction. So I think those analogies are helpful for understanding our faith life, too. Our, Our relationship with God should be like a marriage, that we're really living with Him every day, that we're speaking to Him every day, that we have a real living relationship with Him. And then I know when I've turned away from Him, and I know when I'm cutting corners, and I know when I'm not listening to Him. I know when I'm not taking out the garbage or picking up the thing from the store or you know, spending too much time with, with people away from him. I know when that's going on and maybe I've continued to go to mass. Maybe I haven't committed big sins, but there's a real rift that forms. And, you know, is there just like with marriage, we can't, uh, there's, there's no thermometer that I can put in this thing to measure what's the temperature of the separation. Mm-hmm. I've got to evaluate my heart. I've got to listen to what's, you know, to the Holy spirit, but, um, yeah, anyway, those, so continuing to have reconciliation to make that a regular part of our life in marriage as well as in our faith life is very helpful that you check in with your wife. How are we doing? You know, it's been a couple of weeks since we really talked about us. How are we doing? How do you feel about this? Am I continuing to be a jerk to you or am I doing a little better or, you know, how are things going? So same way with confession. We want to check in and say, yeah, I think I've fallen short here a few times, huh? I don't think I've been faithful to this. I'm sorry. I want
0: to grow in this. Oh, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. So fair enough there. Um, okay, so so yeah, that was my little side question there about the uh, the confession part since we with that, that opportunity um, started off there. So going back to the the core marriage discussion we had before. I mean, in the church, the the number, or at least in our, in our Catholic faith, the number one thing that's brought up is Joseph and then the Virgin Mary. And going back, you just said how important sex was to the entire purpose of marriage, but yet every time we talk about Mary, it always says we always say the Virgin Mary. So I, this might end up being more of a question about Mary, but um, why is that?
1: Well. The, uh, the way I like to think of this, again, marriage is about manifesting the presence of God in the world. And we could say that the goal of every married couple is to conceive Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, no married couple ever gets there, except for one. Uh, because to bring forth God, literally bring forth God into the world... It's really what marriage is, is striving to do. So the union of Joseph and Mary, which was a union of hearts and a union of vows, not a union of bodies, but their union, gift of their bodies to God, brought forth that fruitfulness in a miraculous way. So they did, in fact, conceive Jesus and bring him forth into the world. And we could say that Joseph is a, an essential part of that. I, this is a whole other podcast I like to call Joseph the virginal father of Jesus. We, we call him the foster father anyway, the whole track. But Joseph's presence is essential. God would not have given his son to a single mother. Mm-hmm. He wanted to place his son into a family so that that family would also be a model for families. So in a certain sense, Joseph and Mary, without ever coming together physically, already achieved, already came to the point that marriage should come to, to literally conceive Christ. And bring him into the world. So we could say that Joseph and Mary coming together physically would even be a kind of step down for them, that they had already achieved the greatest possibility of marriage, which is to conceive Jesus, to bring forth God into the world, even in a physical way. They already did it. And their union with each other was so total already that continuing to come together physically was again, a a kind of step down from what they were already – from where they already were in a completely unique way. So that – but what we can do, what we can look to the Holy Family for, obviously not an example of uh, of sex, of marital intercourse, but we can look to them as, as an example of perfect love. In terms of the charity, of the mutuality, of the mutual support within the family, of work, of poverty, of listening to God together, uh, working through struggles, uh, being refugees and immigrants, and uh, so many other things that they give us a a perfect example for in terms of how we live out family life. Because the reality is the vast majority of family life is not marital intercourse. (laughs) The the vast majority of family life so in that one in that one example, because of the uniqueness of the virgin birth and the fact that God has been brought forth in this marriage as a kind of ultimate fruit of that union they're they're exceptional in every other area of marriage they're they're an outstanding example.
0: Okay, well, this just leads to another just Bible question because I don't know remember if it's mark or Matt. I know it's one of the m ones um, that it, it's early on. It says Jesus, brother of blank, 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 like four guys' names, and what does that mean? Literal brother? Like what? What does that mean? Because that's always been something that's thrown me off, based around this whole conversation we're having.
1: Yeah, in Hebrew, there's no word for cousin, and so cousins are referred to as brothers.
0: Oh, gotcha. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So
1: okay. that's the basic response. There are a few other ways you can approach that, but basically the you know you can interpret a lot of things a lot of ways looking at the interpretation that's been there since the first since the beginning of the church has always upheld the virginity of mary the lifelong virginity of mary and okay. so you look for another explanation of that that's a, that's a pretty viable explanation
0: yeah i mean just one of the things that just you know the understand what's no, going on. it's a on. great question. It's a, it's a common question. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think I'm really inventing the world, the world with all these questions. No. Here. So, um, on that note, this seems to be ever since I asked her, everyone in the world telling me what I should know, what I should do, especially in preparation for it. Um, since I'm actually here with, with a priest who's seen it all and clearly just based upon the conversation you've had, you've had this conversation with a couple or two before. Um, you know what are the things that that I should be preparing for aside from just building my house to have a physical place to put us um what What other things should I be focusing on to make sure that, that we're right and good for this?
1: yeah, how to build the spiritual house yes
0: yeah. that that would be the way to do it yeah
1: so I think there are a number of things that are that are helpful. Every diocese requires some preparation and there are a few components to that that I think are, are useful. Since I generally do marriage preparation here in Greensburg or for couples in Pittsburgh, uh, I sort of follow those guidelines and then I add a few of my own things to it. But some of the basic guidelines are, uh, there's a, there are a couple of different inventories called the Focus Inventory, or the one I like to use is called Fully Engaged. Anyway, the the inventory serve the same purpose, which is to look at a lot of different areas of of married life and to try and find those areas that maybe you haven't talked about as much or maybe you haven't found a real harmony with each other. Because the fact is that as much as you know each other, as long as you've been dating, you still come from two families. Mm -hmm. You haven't lived together. And so there are a lot of things that you're going to work out in that process. You have different preferences. You have different – I always like the example of, you know, does the toilet paper go over the roll or under the roll? You know, like these little things. Uh, I remember somebody telling me that there was a little bit of a conflict over how their shirts were folded. You know, the wife always folded them this way. The husband always folded them this A lot of little things like that. Those things obviously get worked out over time. But the point is, if those little things – can be differences that need to be worked out. Think of the bigger thing. How do you manage finances? What are your expectations about children? What if she turns out to be struggling with infertility? How are you going to handle that? Are you open to adoption? You know, are you open to uh, going through Catholic procedures? There are a lot of non-Catholic problems like in vitro fertilization which on average kills nine babies for one that's conceived and brought to birth in the direction of in vitro fertilization and some other non Catholic procedures that likewise endanger or destroy human life in order to bring human life to birth. But there are some Catholic approaches, NAPRO technology being the primary one. Anyway, mm-hmm. side note, but how do you handle those situations? Are you ready for that? Who's going to stay home with the children, or how are you going to raise the children? What are you going to do in terms of your, your jobs, finances? Um, who's, you know, How are you going to handle holidays? Are you going to stay with her family? Are you going to stay with your family? Live in the same area? I know people that get married who live in different... Mm-hmm. Anyway, a lot of those different issues, the, the inventories are helpful for being a pretty comprehensive, And then they facilitate a conversation. The priest will conduct the inventory and then basically just help the couple talk through those things with each other. You know, as long as you're talking about them, um, that's the important thing. Uh, Things like contraception and, and, uh, you know, if there isn't, if the couple isn't on the same page about those things or or whatever. So, meeting with the priest for that is very helpful. Things I like to do, I like to help couples. Um, grow in their prayer life together, help them to pray together, pray with scripture together, Um, how they go to mass, spend time in adoration together, like to see, develop that spiritual side, encourage them to develop some practices, maybe pray night prayer together as a couple. So I like to talk through some of those kinds of things. There's uh, also in most places uh, a diocese called, uh, I'm sorry, a, a program called engaged encounter, which depends a little bit on the presenters. So I, I can't universally endorse it because I've had, heard some bad <laughs> presenters say some things that, I completely, that are really against church teaching. There are some bad examples, but I think in general we've moved to a good place in terms of the presenters. And the thing that I think is really helpful about engaged encounter is um, a mode of speaking to each other that they simply call dialoguing. But it's a particular mode of you know, writing things down to each other, really listening to what the other one says, echoing back what the other one said, and it's a really good communication technique to have. Sometimes when emotions get heated, when uh, maybe communication is going great during dating and engagement, but when you get married to each other, you start to take each other for granted, and having some of those skills that you can step back and say, I think we need to take this longer process. We both know how to do it. Let's engage in counter-process. I think it's very helpful. So that's a a very useful process. But developing the spiritual side, developing some tools that you can carry into marriage, full foundations, and then ultimately I'm always interested in developing habits because I can't tell you everything you need to know before you're married mm-hmm. things in place, the people in place, the uh, you know, so that you can ask the questions and keep growing. Once you run into the problems in marriage, I'll tell you a lot of things. You won't believe me. <laughs> you won't know what I'm talking about. And then you'll run into it and you'll say, no, what did he say again? What were we supposed to do again? <laughs> so you have to have a kind of process in place to be able to keep working on those things as well.
0: Yeah, creating system that's always been something that, that I've liked doing there. Um, yeah it, it actually seems like like we've done a little bit of this stuff that that you just brought up which is kind of good Seeing that, that we're at least going the right directions of course over the course of what now is three and a half years i figured we'd uh we'd be a little bit ahead of the curve with that at least do something right here so um so once again i'd like yeah. to thank everyone for um for enjoying in this podcast today hopefully that uh that this cast helps you guys thank you for spreading the word and having us grow and please continue to do that out there everyone and we look forward to talking to you our next cast have a great week everyone